welcome to the first episode of Bibliophile Labyrinth Adventures. And I know that's quite a mouthful. I, I was just going to call it book adventures or reading books, but I decided to go with this to kind of make it a little different. A couple of days ago, I watched a Rolling Thunder review of Bob Dylan's story by Martin Scorsese. And I've been a lifelong Bob Dylan fan, and I've always been fascinated with him. But this isn't about Bob Dylan. This is about uh, books, but I'm going to get to that eventually here. Uh, in the documentary, or pseudo-documentary, because there's a lot of little false avenues that it leads you down. If you know anything about Dylan, he kind of uh, is a mystery himself and kind of likes to keep you on your toes as far as what's true and what's not. Throughout his life and career, he's he's played little tricks like that, and this is definitely one of the best I've seen, so I highly recommend it. It's set in the mid-70s, uh, 1975, when he launched the Rolling Thunder Review after being gone from kind of public eye for quite a while, hadn't been touring much, following a motorcycle accident he'd had years before. And in it, it gets to the part where he writes the song Hurricane about Reuben Carter, a boxer who was falsely accused of murder and imprisoned. And and Dylan uh, heard about the story, went and met with Carter, and wrote the song. In the documentary, in the in the story, I should say, Carter's talking, and he's like, every time I see Bob, and I don't see him very often, but every time I see him, and I, for years I've done this, I said, have you found it? Are you found what you're searching for? And Bob would go, like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're a searcher. I know you are. Have you found what you're searching for? And Bob will go, yeah or no. And he's like, yeah, you're still looking. You're still looking. And then it goes to custom Dylan, and he's like, yeah, Carter often asked me, are you, have you found what you're looking for? What are you looking for? And he played it off that his answer usually is, yeah, I'm, I'm searching for the Holy Grail, kind of like Galahad, always searching for that, that Holy Grail. How does this tie into why I called the podcast Bibliophile Labyrinth Adventures? Well, one, I'm a bibliophile. I love books. always have since I was a little kid. I remember memories of carrying books with me all the time. I just as likely could have called it the bibliophagist labyrinth adventures because i devour books because uh, i love everything about them from the smell to feel holding a book just having one near me makes me gives me comfort could have just called book lovers podcast which probably is what i should have gone with since it's the easiest thing to spell but it would have been easily to, uh, lost in the names for other people's shows so i've had this lifelong love of books and part of that love of books is, you know, you pick up a book and you get something out of it, regardless um, of quality. There's something there for most books. I mean, I'm not going to say every book's great if they're not. Um, that's kind of what you, you're, that's why it's kind of like a labyrinth. You're picking up a book and you're searching. You're looking for that holy grail of books. Sometimes you find it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you find something really meaningful. Sometimes you just get a good, really good story. Sometimes you get a, a, a book that's both a good story and that's beautifully written and that touches you in a personal way. Sometimes it's just a great adventure. Sometimes it's a good escape. Sometimes it in, informs you about things in the world and gives you a different perspective on how things are. Shows you that things aren't necessarily the world that you live in. is not necessarily the way thing is for everybody. Uh, books are very important. They can create empathy. They can give you knowledge. They can, they can change your life. Uh, that's, that's a story for another day. I actually read a book once and I uh, quit my job, but that's, that's another thing. Every book I pick up, I'm, 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 I'm looking for something out of it. So yeah, it's an adventure. You're, 
you're when you hit the stacks, you're kind of entering a labyrinth. If you're in a bookstore or if you're in a big library, you know that feeling of just walking around and sometimes you go into the to the labyrinth knowing what you're looking for and sometimes you're not you're just rambling and you can find anything uh, and sometimes you run into the minotaur in the labyrinth and the second part of the name labyrinth reminds me both of uh one for borges my one of my favorite authors jorge luis borges the great south american poet and writer and reviewer and lover of books himself and his he had a fixation on labyrinths uh he wrote a story about a library that kind of resembled a labyrinth in itself that it just kept going on and on and on forever and it also kind of the labyrinth term reminds me of uh joyce who took on the name daedalus and who you know of course was famous for creating the labyrinth and if you ever have gone into a big library a big bookstore you kind of can get lost in there, walking the stacks like you're in a labyrinth. You never know what you're going to find around any corner on any shelf. Sometimes you're going to run into the Minotaur. Every book's not going to be the the, the Holy Grail. Uh, but sometimes you do find something that's just made of pure gold, like it just spun just for you, uh, and you get a personal connection for it. And that's kind of what, as a reader, I'm always looking for. It. And it might just end up being just one sentence. And a book can make that book just something meaningful and special for me like the last line in uh, Dubliners by Joyce and that line is his soul swooned slowly as he heard the snow falling faintly through the universe and faintly falling like the descent of their last end upon all the living and the dead I remember reading that sentence and I just had to sit there silently for a second just because of the there's something in those in the magic of those words for me so yeah, and then adventures because it's always an adventure. You go into a book, a book can be like a labyrinth, and sometimes it's difficult to, to to traverse and get through it. Other times, it's just an adventure. You get an adventure out of it. It can be an adventure because sometimes it's a uh, can be a dangerous thing when you pick a book up. Their books are filled with everything in the world, uh, every aspect of beauty and truth, and all things that are great. And then there's also horror and nightmares and things that go bump in the night that you don't necessarily want to experience but so that's why i chose the name so bibliophile labyrinth adventures that's the name of this podcast and that's what i'm gonna stick with for now so why am i doing this i already am a member of a couple other podcasts uh one is the 2bt podcast that's the number two bt podcast you can find it on iTunes and wherever podcasts are available. Um, it's on the member of the Nerdy Legion uh, podcast network. And I'm also a member of the Save the World podcast with my buddy Paul. And on both of those, I talk about books with both of them. And, but we also talk about a lot of other things, music, history, film, TV shows, what we ate for lunch the day before. Things like that, uh, very conversational. But sometimes I want to go a little bit deeper and share some thoughts. And this will provide me with a way of unpacking my some ideas that I've got about things I'm reading. Uh, sometimes I'll be looking into some upcoming books that I'm excited about. I'm going to be not necessarily reviewing books, but basically just talking about books that are important 
I also would like to get recommendations from people. You can uh, eventually be able to write and give me suggestions, or you can tell me what you think I was wrong about what I said about a book. Uh, I could, I'm, you know, the, the opinions that I'm going to give are just my opinions. They're nothing more than that. I'm not trying to tell somebody to like something or not like something. Uh, basically, I'm just going to be sharing things that I mostly hopefully like. But um, the book I'm going to be talking about today, I have some negative things to say about it. But for the, for the most part, I'm going to try to be positive and just point out the things that I really enjoyed about it, which is kind of my philosophy. Um, let the material speak to each person rather than bludgeon it to death and offend people that might really love it. So yeah, it's going to be kind of me just going over books that I've read. Uh, I'm going to be reading at the current time. I've got four books that I'm going through right now. I usually have an audio book that I listen to at work and the whole discussion about whether audio listening to audio book is reading or not. That's something for another day. I have I have pretty strong opinions about that. Um, I also have a book on my Kindle that I usually read when I'm going to bed at night, and I usually at least have another book or two in process to read. Because uh, always, no matter how much I love audiobooks and no matter how much I love reading digitally now, uh, I still the my favorite is to actually pick up a book and read it. Uh, and I read everything from comic books to. Uh, history and fiction and all kinds of genre, science fiction, fantasy. And I'm going to be covering all kinds of things. Nothing more to be gained out of this other than me just, like I said, just sharing some thoughts about something and hopefully other people can poss- possibly get something out of it and, and gain something, maybe find a good book that they've uh, heard about and wanted to know if they should read it and and maybe they can uh, take that jump and go ahead and uh, start it. In the near future, I'm going to be probably talking about Neil Stevenson's Seven Eves, which is a science fiction book that I'm reading now. I'm reading William T. Volman's The Dying Grass, which is a historical novel set in the 1870s about the Nez Perce War. And I'm also reading a number of different series. I'm currently just finished the last book in the Expanse novel series by James S.A. Corey. More on that later. I absolutely love that series. I read uh, The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher, which I'm kind of on hiatus from, but I'm about to start that. Uh, Pierce Brown's Red Rising books. We'll take a look at those. We're going to take a look at books some eventually that uh, I've read a long time ago, some of my favorites. I recently reread uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. I might do a little episode on my thoughts on that and why I think that's such a powerful book and why he was such a great writer. There's all kinds of things. You never know what I'm going to do. I, I'll, I could delve into some history books that I might be picking up. Uh, my, my wife laughs at me because I have books about books. I've got books about writers. And I'm like one of the books I'm currently reading is I picked up at the library. It's by Francine Prose. It's reading like a writer a guide for people who love books and for those who want to write them. <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, I have another book I picked up at the library. It's a, interview, it's a series of interviews with Texas literary figures from Larry McMurtry to my, my one of my all-time favorites, John Graves, is in there and a number that I'm not familiar with, but I'm hoping to pick something out 
from reading it and maybe find some future books that I'm going to love. So, yeah, that's kind of the game plan. But enough about me. I'm boring enough. Uh, why listen to me ramble on about... We can talk about something interesting like a book. Uh, today's book is... A 1968 novel written by Piers Anthony. And you have to forgive me because I don't know how to pronounce the name of the book. It's uh, S-O-S, The Rope. Um, I'm thinking it's Sos, The Rope. Uh, in my head, I, I, say, I usually say Sauce, The Rope. Uh, it could be either way. I reached out to somebody and asked them what they thought, and they, they had no clue. So like things like that, I, I'm just going to kind of probably mispronounce the, the main character's name. And that is the name of the main character, Sauce the Rope. Pierce Anthony. Uh, there, you know, there are some writers that the general public is are aware of. You know, everywhere from Shakespeare to Mark Twain, Hemingway, Tolkien, you know, Stephen King, J.K. Rowling. People that have never picked up one of their books have heard of them or know who they are. Um, because they've kind of infiltrated the, the pop culture or just the culture in general so much that they're just somebody you know of. But there's another level of writer that, especially like in genre fiction, that people that are really into, say, fantasy or science fiction or mystery or on and on horror, there's people that, that are very well known in that arena. And for me, Pierce Anthony's been in my, you know, my my little Rolodex of science fiction fantasy authors. He's been there since I was a little kid in the 80s. I might very well have read a book by him. Uh, I might have picked up in the school library when I was young. Uh, I can't honestly say that I, I remember it or not. So we're going to kind of work on the assumption that I haven't. But I've always known who he is. He's always had a book on the shelf. You know, I've been picking up copies of his books over the years. I've got about four or five on the shelf. And I've been dutifully placing them on the shelf with a sincere intent to read them someday. I'm happy to say that the day had finally arrived. And this was kind of spurred on by the social media tag or name that somebody goes under that I became aware of. Through a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Valiant Comics, also a fan of fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons, and this particular person also shares interest in all those things. I became familiar with them first. I became aware of them through Valiant Comics and some fan groups that are associated with that that brand. The, one of the names that I saw him use as a screen name or login name, whatever you want to call it, was Sauce the Rope or Sauce the Rope. And I, I was like, that's a really interesting, interesting name to go by. And I searched it and it's always oh, Piers Anthony. Well, okay. And turns out it was Piers Anthony's second published novel. I'd never heard of it, but it interested me enough to keep it kind of in mind over time. And a, a few weeks ago, I was going through one of my favorite labyrinths, a secondhand bookstore that is just uh, amazing. It has three, stories of books uh, a basement level a main level and an upstairs absolutely fantastic place just to kind of get lost in the labyrinth and kind of search for that holy grail and i was going through the science fiction section and fantasy section and i I have this affinity for picking up copies of old old 
paperbacks from the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and so on. Because that goes back to some of the books I was reading. I, I'm not old enough to have bought them in the 50s and 60s, but I do have memories of getting some like that in the in the in the 80s and you know early 90s. And I saw the book. I saw Sauce the Rope by Piers Anthony, the original paperback edition that came out in like I said 1968. And I got it for a good deal. Grabbed it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to finally read this. A little bit about. Anthony himself first. He's best known for writing the Xanth series. He's written over 40 of them, in addition to many, many other books. Piers Anthony's the pen name of Piers Anthony Dillingham Jacob. That's a mouthful. He's born in the early 30s in Oxford and migrated to Vermont with his family in the 1940s. He uh, graduated from Goddard College in Vermont in 56, got married. Became a naturalized American citizen, uh, I guess, during his service in the United States Army for two years. After that, he taught briefly at a school in St. Petersburg, Florida, and then he set out to be a writer. And the story goes that his wife made a deal with him. If he didn't get something published or sell something Within a year, he had to get back into the workforce and kind of let the dream go. I know there's a lot of science fiction fantasy fans that are very grateful to his wife for making that deal and giving him that time to do it. You know, his dedication paid off. He, from the fertile mind that he has, he's been filling bookshelves with science fiction fantasy readers for decades. His career began on a high note when Ballantine Books published his first novel, and I don't know how to say the name of this one either. That's C-H-T-H-O-N, Chthon, Chthon is how I pronounce it. 1967, it came out. Uh, he got nominated for the Nebula Award for Best Novel in 1967, and he was nominated for the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1968 for that book. Then, in 1968, this book that I'm talking about, Sauce the Rope, came out. Now, this book first appeared in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, uh, broken into three parts and was published uh, over July, August, and September of 68. And then in October 1968, Pyramid Books, which is now known as Jove, published the whole 157-page novel as a paperback with a cover by Jack Goffin. I think that's how you pronounce that. Now, Jack Goffin is an interesting person in himself. Uh, it's worth taking a look at some of his art because he has artwork on all kinds of stuff from that time. Uh, especially some really nice uh, Tolkien books of Lord of the Rings that he did covers for, and then many, many more. Uh, had a cover price of 60 cents, and it says that it was the winner of the $5,000 Science Fiction Novel Award. I don't know if that's something that Pyramid Science Fiction did, or it was from through the magazine. I just don't know. The cover's interesting because it doesn't seem to really resemble anything that I saw in the book. It pictures a man with a sword, looks like a sword or something across his back, climbing up the side of a battered spaceship by holding a rope. It says, Sauce the rope, a super warrior walks the world, armed with the power to save mankind or destroy it. Now, I think that might be giving away a little bit because you don't necessarily get that in the uh, the story that we're reading itself. Uh, and I'm going to read the back of it. It says in big, bold, yellow letters, Earth's Demon. They call him Sauce, or Sos, a man mightier in strength and spirit than the greatest warriors of post-blast legend. His past is shrouded in enigma. 
but now he wanders the earth, riding a heritage in blood and bravery. To some he is a savior, to others agent of cataclysm. One man alone bears the terrible curse of his friendship. Two mortal women share his doom-driven love. Yet only Sauce knows the ultimate purpose of his strange, violent mission on earth. Save mankind, or destroy it forever. <laughs> Vivid, dramatic, and compelling in its blending of adventurous narrative and speculation, Sauce the Rope was the unanimous choice of the judges to receive the, oh, here's the answer, $5,000 Pyramid Publications Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction Kent Production Science Fiction Novel Award. Just answer my own question. I should have looked at that earlier. Um, then it says, Pierce Anthony... Piers Anthony is one of the brightest new names in the field of science fiction and has won considerable notice with his recent novel, Thon. Yeah, and then at the bottom it's got a little uh, kind of black and blue shaded repurposing of the cover, which again, I don't really understand how it ties into the book. That summary really does give away a lot about what the book, because you don't get to any of that until near the end of the book. Let's see, it was came out then in 1968, uh... Favor and Favor published it as a hardcover, I think, in the UK in September 1970. Uh, Corgi published it as a paperback in 75 with a Patrick Woodruff cover. And this book is the part, first part of a trilogy known as the Battle Circle Trilogy. You can get all three books through Amazon in one book under Piers Anthony's Battle Circle. That was first published as an omnibus in January 1978 by Avon. And there have been multiple multiple printings of it over the years. Uh, most recently, 2010, Paizo Publishing released it uh, May 2010. So you, you, it's available. You can find it. I recommend looking for a cheap copy if you're interested in it that I found. You can get it through A Books, really good deal, so and so on. The book is interesting to me in that he has created a world that's, you know, it's obviously a post-apocalyptic setting, uh, dystopian future, you know, after the blast. Um, it, it talks about how there's certain dead zones that you're not allowed to go into because of the threat of radiation, making you sick and killing you. And it kind of, it this kind of, part of the interesting way he tells the story is, you're thrown into this really strange world and he kind of starts revealing things over time that shows the culture and the way things work. There are, you find in the unveiling of the story, there are three groups of people that we learn about and there are nomads. There are the crazies and there are, you eventually find there's a third group of people that kind of dwell under the earth the nomads are people pretty much who just wander around. They gain prestige by showing their prowess in fights, usually not to the death. Sometimes it ends up that way. And there are things they call cabins that they can go to to get food, clothing, place to sleep. There's a TV there that has some old shows, pre-blast shows that they can watch. It's a weird scenario, but they don't do much more than that. That's their existence. They're kind of like a hunter-gatherer, subsistence uh, culture. Um, they do form tribes. One man beats another in the battle circle, and he can kind of form a group that kind of follows him. Women, uh, one of my 
the cringy things about the books. Women are in a kind of, not necessarily, well, they really are. They're put in a subservient kind of position and they find a warrior. Each warrior wears a gold bracelet. Uh, they can exchange the bracelet for a knight. And if they get along and enjoy each other's company, like each other, they become married and the woman takes on the warrior's name. For example, Sauce would become Sosa or Sosa. Other aspect of it is if the woman ever becomes dissatisfied with being with this guy, all she has to do is return the bracelet and move on. So there's that aspect. Like I said, it's, it's kind of a, a creature of its product of its time in that regard that women don't necessarily have a very strong role in this book. And another thing I didn't like about it is women are, are also kind of just very two-dimensional. They're judged mostly by their beauty, and uh, that's kind of a – there's just no two – ways about it it's, it's really a really negative part of the book it's it's something that i you know i just can't approve of you look at it that it's from a certain time and you 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 can try to get some positive elements out of the rest of the story but uh that's really one of those unacceptable parts in in the book from my in my opinion but aside from that the the world itself is interesting and as time goes on, you figure out that the crazies are people that are still interested in pre-blast knowledge. They have schools available to educate people if they're interested. They're, they live on the outskirts. They're the ones that provide the weapons. They provide the cabins with the clothing and food. You don't really learn much more about them other than that they're crazy for being interested in the past. Uh, there's this vast population of the nomads that pretty much live this very primitive lifestyle with no interest other than to find glory and, uh, you know, protect the tribe against other tribes. But there's really not that much of a, of a dispute other than with anybody other than that. It, it begins with the meeting of two warriors, both named Saul or Soul. These two warriors meet, and you pretty much have the nomads. You have your name. Everybody, every man has a three-letter name. These two gentlemen that meet are both known as Soul or Saul. And then you also add to that the name, your last name in a way, is whatever weapon you're most proficient in. The hero of this book is known as Soul the Sword, and the man he encounters is soul of many all the weapons there are six weapons that these nomads have at their disposal to use in the battle circle these two warriors with the same name meet and the hero of the book says, tells the other guy says look we can't have the same name this is my name i've earned it you have to change your name and the other guy's like no i'm not going to do that well we'll determine this by fighting it out and the winner gets to keep the name they fight. It's a very, very good fight. Both are almost on the verge of winning. And then Soul, the many of the many weapons, in the last second, injures Soul, the sword, and defeats him. Now, another aspect of this culture is that once defeated, unless you've already made a prearranged agreement, to save your honor, you have to go climb the 
something called the mountain. Basically, that's you're going to your death because no one's ever returned from the mountain. Anyhow, they start talking afterwards. Soul of the many weapons. He's impressed with the other guy's mental ability, and they he basically one thing that comes out in the book is Soul of the many all the weapons. He really desperately just wants to have a friend. So he makes a deal with uh, this other soul. Says, look, you help me. I have a goal. I want to build an empire. But I don't necessarily know how to go about doing it. And this other gentleman says, well, this is what I'd do. I'd go into the battle circle and I'd challenge everyone I find. And with the deal, basically make a bet that if I defeat you, you have to follow me, become part of my tribe. He's like, yeah, but then what do I do? How do I get do that? How do I get guys that already have followers to fight me when there's a chance they could lose and lose everything? Anyhow, the story unfolds that Soul the Sword forsakes his name and takes up the name of Sauce, and he's not allowed to take a weapon and goes into the service of this guy who's determined to become the greatest warrior there is and he leads him into the radioactive zone and basically helps build an empire soul doesn't necessarily have the mental ability to plan things out when it comes to negotiating or actually building and training other people up to build this empire that he wants to to, to have sauce basically and within a time of span of a year, does that. He goes from just him and soul to, at the end of it, they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of followers, so much so that they have to they actually start taking care of themselves. They start growing crops. They start hunting more. Um, they start basically developing and becoming more on the path of civilization in a way. They become interested in learning under the... Um, tutelage of Sost. And at the same time, there is a young woman that when they had the first encounter, she had gone to the cabin with hopes of finding a man that she could partner with and gain the prestige of being with a mighty warrior. And Soul had no interest in her whatsoever, but for some reason agreed to give her his golden bracelet and they become, I guess, partners or man and wife however you want to term it anyhow so it proceeds on after that sauce at the end of his year service he goes out on his own and tries to basically find his own path in the world soul really doesn't want so to leave but he can't change his mind he leaves an open door for him to come back he goes back to the crazies, <laughs> a professor that went to ta- teach him, and under his guidance, he is given a rope made out of metal to use in combat. And he trains with it, trains with it, and then sets out to go back and, you know, prove himself again. Now, I also mentioned, I forgot to mention, there are six weapons they have provided uh, the traditional weapons they have provided for them are the, the sword, um, sticks, club, uh, the fighting with a staff, daggers, and a, 
some uh, morning star, you know, the, uh, a stick with a chain on it with something heavy on the end, like a heavy flail a ball and chain or whatever that that are provided for people by the crazies, and that's what they use. So when Sauce the Rope shows up with his rope, people are like amazed. It was such a foreign or new weapon that they haven't, no one had ever considered it something like that to be a weapon. But here he comes with something that they've no one's ever fought with, and he starts winning. Uh, he starts getting his own tribe that he's building up by defeating, and he starts defeating little sub branches of Souls tribes that have been sent out to exist on their own. I forgot to mention another important part. During their initial time when it's just the three of them, they enter the uh, zone that no one goes into, the dead zone or the radiation zone where everybody, their markers put up by the crazies say, don't go past this for your own good, and no one ever does. Uh, Sauce, because he's read books, he was educated by the crazies, decides to test out the theories and things he's learned and they, that's where they go to train their army in secret. While they're there, they encounter some really strange mutant creatures that have uh, developed over time. Uh, there's a pack of these little tiny creatures that go, travel in the thousands that just devour everything, the flesh off of any living thing on the ground. Sauce becomes friends, gets a pet of a little bird that, for some reason, Sauce saves the bird from a hawk and out of uh, gratitude, the bird becomes his constant companion, and he names the bird Stupid. Actually, one of the, my favorite little parts of the book is uh, the fact that he's got a bird named Stupid that just kind of sits on his shoulder and travels with him everywhere he goes. And then also during that time, Soul becomes injured. He gets poisoned by something that... Uh, he should have taken care of that sauce had recommended that he, that he get some treatment for soul, not necessarily the, the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer. He decides that he's tough enough that he can just withstand any poison. No threat there during this. It turns out that soul was abused when he was young by a tribe to the West basically mutilated him and he is not capable of, of of procreating of having children which is one of the reasons he had no interest in his wife who had attached herself to him just because of his stature as a great warrior and in that time sauce and so sola fall in love and near the end of his uh one year he fathers a child with her and that's when he set out to uh after his one year service, he sets out to find a way to regain his his uh, stature somehow. Uh, so there seems to be this dynamic going on where the crazies are wanting to keep the nomads down. They don't want them to really develop beyond the level they, they are now. And the fact that the nomads have no interest, for the most part, really plays into the hands of the of the, the crazies. But they end up seeing this growing empire that Sauce, the rope, helped Soul, the many swords, many weapons, uh, build. And they start to go on the upward climb of civilization 
they see that as a threat to the standard that they have and they, they want to maintain because the fear is that if they start to develop and show an interest in the education and developing and the march towards progress, uh, developing their own technology, developing more and more powerful weapons, they're afraid that they're going to return to the days of the pre-blast and basically create a society that could possibly wipe out civilization again. Um, so there's this aspect that, as the story goes on, of uh, manipulation. And Sauce ends up figuring this out. So he goes, after his one-year service is done, he goes back and he becomes very adept at using the, the rope. He defeats people left and right, and then he's, he's in search of Soul because he wants to defeat him and take Sola and the young daughter that was born to them away from Seoul and go live on their own and live happily ever after. And Sauce comes back, finally gets a chance to fight with Seoul in the battle circle. Seoul tells him, look, I just want you to be my friend. Just come back and everything will be fine. But he's like, well, we, it can't be fine because I want to be with, I want your wife to be with my wife. We, there's no love between you. You treat her like nothing the only thing you value from her is what that she's able to give you because of me uh, a child to carry on your legacy to be your heir of this empire they fight they face off and soul wins again all this build up to make you think that sauce the rope actually has a chance to defeat soul of the many weapons and sauce goes on the long trek to climb the mountain he climbs the mountain and just and as he's climbing the mountain it gets colder and colder colder and colder and stupid the little bird companion freezes to death and it just kills him (laughs) because he he it was his fault he didn't take good enough care of the bird as they were climbing trying to keep it warm as they went and it, it 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 really hurt him and then he's nearing the top of the mountain. He's just like, he just almost gives up. And he gets to the point where he knows he's about to die. And he just collapses near the very top of the summit. And f- fast forward, the cold climbing of the mountain thing is kind of a test. He's been brought into this underground bunker of sorts. Everybody there, for the most part, are people that have climbed the mountain before and made it to a certain point. And turns out that these are the people that make all the weapons in like an underground factory. They work for the crazies and doing this. He sauce the rope meets another woman who challenges him to a fight by making fun of him. And she pretty much kicks his butt left and right. Uh, she was raised by a tribe where the women, and this was an, this was one of the better aspects of the book and that she actually, had uh fighting ability herself and he couldn't even uh he was such a weakened state he had no chance against her she was basically practicing a form of martial arts and of course they fall in love and the people there said look we have a mission for you we want you to go back and end this empire you need to go back and defeat soul take over the empire and dismantle it 
or else we're going to have to step in and go in and do it ourselves. And it's going to be bloody. A lot of people are going to die. We just want things to go back the way it was before. We want everybody just to be happy with what we provide them with. We want to end this progress that pe- the, the, this this upward progress that they're on. Okay, and Sauce is pretty much like I can't do that. He's beat me twice. I don't see how I can do this. And this is when it gets kind of weird. Uh, anybody that's read, and I'll go ahead and talk about the Red Rising books. One, I also want to talk about the Patrick Rothfuss uh, Name of the Wind books. Two series more modern day series that the main character reminds me of is the main character from red rising and the main character from the king killer chronicles uh the king killer chronicles books sauce the rope is super intelligent very clever that's where his true power is is in his ability to outthink others and this reminds me a lot of both and the King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss, whose intelligence, his ability to figure things out, is his main strength. Uh, his downfall, though, is that he can't outthink or outfight Soul in the battle circle. So what they do is they enhance him. They put him through some pain. They they reinforce his bones with metal. They they make him bigger and stronger. They give him like a steroid treatment. They do a face. They they even put like a wire mesh under his skin to make it to where, yeah, you could stab him, but it's not going to get through. Basically, he almost has like chain mail under his skin. He gets bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger. They disfigure his face so he's unrecognizable, and they send him back, and he begrudgingly decides to do this because he doesn't want everybody to to suffer the fate that the the people the underground people and the crazies have said it's going to happen this whole remaking him into something faster stronger bigger more fierce reminds me of the protagonist of the red rising series by pierce brown where darrow who is this small frail underclass kind of a uh, person gets rebuilt into basically a superman that would be able to pass and fake his way into the society of the elite class of the golds i just found it a, it's an extremely interesting coincidence which makes me wonder if pierce brown ever read this book he goes back he confronts Soul, and Soul, his Soul figures out pretty quick who he is, and he's like, "I'm," I, and Soul's like, "Look, I don't want to fight you." And he's just like, "You have to." And Soul's kind of the uh, sad, sad character of the book, in that really he has this burden, this desire for power, and at the same time, he just wants somebody he can trust around him. And at the end of the book. Sos and Soul face off. They fight. Extremely, extremely violent fight. Bloody. Sos almost kills Soul. Uh, Soul falls out of the battle circle. And rather than main, remain in the circle and claim victory, Sos jumps out and tries to kill him. The, the fight ends. Soul has lost. 
and it's over. Soul decides to go to the mountain, uh, releases Sola from their agreement, and sets off to climb the mountain. But the only thing, and this is another thing that bothered me about the book, the daughter goes with them. That really bothered me. The daughter wants to go with them. And the thing that really bothered me is that the mother, Sola, allowed that to happen. Not not happy about it, but it happens. And they go off, and this new reborn sauce the rope, who the name escapes me of what he's, he's going by now, um, that's pretty much how the story ends. When the story's taken up, when the next book called Var the Stick, which I have now, that's that's kind of that's kind of the sums up the the story. Uh, it's an interesting world that Piers Anthony created. The writing is kind of flat. It's not necessarily like I said. I, this is the first book I've read of his. He's he's had a career for over fifty years, um, so I'm sure his writing got it much better. The characters are pretty much very two dimensional, but it's the strength of the world that he's created, the plot that he's created with this dynamic uh, between the crazies trying to manipulate and keep society from developing. Uh, So a a lot's going to end up playing out, I believe, over the next two books. It's enough to make me want to proceed. Like I said, I already have the next paperback. I was able to find it uh, on Abe Books, abebooks.com, for uh, like three bucks with free shipping. And I'm, I'm going to read it just because I'm interested in where the story goes. I hope the writing gets better. Like I said, it's not the best writing. It's a interesting story. I have some problems with the, uh, the social dynamic between men and women, uh, the way women are depicted. No, I'm not a big fan of that, but there's enough good in it to make me want to continue. So that's what I'm going to do. Now, when I told... Michael, that I was going to read the book, he said, okay, I, you should read it, but it, I got to warn you, it's crap. I think what he means by crap is the things I've, I've, I've you know, numbered here. There's, there, the writing is not that good. It's just that the ideas in it, and there are some lines in it that are kind of like he touches on the philosophical where Sauce has some some revelations in his thoughts that he kind of that kind of helps reveal things to him um some insight into what things are going on and like i said his second book of a guy in his i guess early 30s is trying to be a writer uh is enough strong enough to have won this award so i mean i guess i'm gonna say i'm gonna come up i'm gonna set it up as this should you buy it should you borrow it or should you burn it? I'm going to say borrow it. Um, if you borrow it from the library or if you find a really cheap copy, give it a try. Uh, Piers Anthony, like I said, is one of the uh, big names in science fiction and fantasy of the of, since the late 60s. I'm looking forward to the reading the next few books, the next two books in the trilogy, and seeing what happens. And then I'm going to eventually pick up some more books by him. Um, Michael recommended, let's see if I can find it here. He recommended two books that Anthony wrote 
One is MerCycle, M-E-R-C-Y-C-L-E, and the other one is Macroscope, M-A-C-R-O-S-C-O-P-E. He says those are much better books, better quality. And so that's that's my first book I was talking about. And uh, for a podcast of talking about the love of books, it's not necessarily the best book. I can't really give it high praise. I wish I could. Um, the biggest compliment I can give it is that it's a very interesting idea working behind it. I think if he had written the book, I'm assuming a little bit later on in his career, it probably would have been a little bit better fleshed out, would have been uh, less uh, two-dimensional in like the characters. I mean, there there's some qualities some of the other characters have that are a little bit endearing, but you don't. there's not much depth to it. Um, they are kind of they fit into their little pigeonholes of what they are, but it's, it's worth checking out. And, uh, that's, that's what I got to say about that. I'll, I'll be following up when I read the next two books in the series. I'll, uh, I'll follow up on it and, uh, we'll go from there. Um, so that's kind of, kind of draw to an end this first episode of, uh, bibliophile labyrinth adventures, uh, this is definitely an adventure, this first book. But, I mean, I, did I find the Holy Grail with this book? No. I uh, also didn't encounter the Minotaur. I didn't uh, lose my life from reading it. But, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. I want to end the episode with a quote by a writer that I really believe is worth checking out. Uh, he kind of is like my Holy Grail of writers. Uh, like I mentioned, I said before, uh, Jorge Luis Borges is one of the writers of, that I believe is my favorite. If one of my favorites, if not my very favorite writer, he's kind of like in that upper echelon that I place above. I could, I could read his, uh, his grocery list, I believe, and, and enjoy it. I'm going to end with a quote from a lecture that he gave, and that's going to end the episode. He said, a book is a physical object in a world of physical objects, a set of dead symbols. And then the reader, the right reader, comes along, and the words, or, or rather the poetry behind the words, for the words themselves are mere symbols, springs into life, and you have the resurrection of the word. Yeah. I wish Borges had written uh, Sauce the Rope. I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>